Well, that's uh, yeah. That's our introduction for today's podcast. I am Jeremy Pinch, and it's good to be back uh, in in the podcasting room. We were wondering if that would ever happen. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I uh, I listened to your guys' intros the last two weeks, and I've got to say, you uh, accurately portrayed (laughs) our personnel policy in regard to you. Yeah, no, it was great. It was great. What, what were you doing? Well, I was working on my my property. That was my vacation. So my vacation was a yeah. staycation to work at my house. Those are what they are. So and yeah, and and this week it was in like ninety five degree heat. Yeah, it was not not very fun. So I uh, I'm glad that it's over with. Made you want to talk about eschatology. Made you want to experience eschatology. It, yeah. Like, <laughs> I feel the heat. Like, I'm pretty sure my property is on the vent of hell. Yeah, it's seriously. It, and yeah. come Lord Jesus. Seriously. But I'm back, and it's good to be back. And I have Pastor Rick with me here in the room. And we're talking eschatology. Oh, glory. <laughs> It's a rapture song. No, yeah. I mean, I told Rick beforehand that he only got four to five references from Lord of the Rings because he already made two before we started. I'm reading them right now. I've been reading them for a year. (laughs) So we started out with two songs, and now uh, we'll see where that goes from there. That's that's true. We will indeed (laughs) see where it goes from here. And I'm hoping it'll go in the direction of the rapture. Hopefully. And the tribulation. So today we are working through the rapture, tribulation, and then next week, I believe, um, we'll be finishing our eschatology study. Uh, But the rapture of the church um, is kind of debated within the church, right? Yeah. There's those that... that could I go back to can I go back to something you said? Yeah, is it <laughs> just a second regarding ago? No, rings? no, it okay. is not. <laughs> okay, <laughs> we were so I'm thinking schedule wise. So this is coming out on like I forget what day this podcast is coming out. Yeah, and then and then there's one more on um, the end times, and that brings us to the end of our whole look at the statement of faith. Right, which we've been doing like all year. Yeah, it's been super good. And there's a and what we're doing through the summer is as I'm going through the Sermon on the Mount, each of the subjects yes. that Jesus brings up in the Sermon on the Mount. This is true. We'll have a conversation about those subjects, get into a little more nuance than we're able to on a Sunday morning sermon. Like, like anger, anger divorce, yes. and okay. marriage and remarriage and um, oaths, lust, things like that. Right. Okay. But there's this week in between. Um, and it's the week after Father's Day. Uh, Andy Dino will be preaching on Father's Day. And so we were talking about if there are any listeners um, to the podcast who'd love to send in any questions, literally just Q&A, podcast week. Yeah. Um, if we get some questions, we can do a podcast going through those questions. Ask um, Pastor Rick. So, no, ask 
the voice of the valley. Yeah. Right. You're you're answering most of them. Yeah. So, so just email those questions to Jeremy.pinch at sunvalleychurch.org. Yes. Jeremy.pinch. That's it. At Sunvalley. So we didn't actually discuss this beforehand. Did you have other plans for that podcast? No, no, that's great. So yeah, the rapture is debated. It is. Yes. So if you have any questions, um, feel free to email me or Pastor Rick. Uh, But now we're going to get into the rapture. And Rick, why, why is the rapture so hotly debated in the church? Because eschatology is so hotly debated in the church. This is true. Um, should we start with um, what our statement of faith says on the rapture? What what we actually teach? Sure, go, go for do it. Do you want to read that? I got. I'm gonna drink my coffee. Okay. The rapture of the church says we teach the personal bodily return of our Lord Jesus Christ before the seven year tribulation to translate His church from this earth. And between the event of his glorious return with his saints to reward believers according to their works. Yeah. So where do we where do we find? I guess where do we find the rapture in in scripture? Um, we find it well. There's a few places. Um, the apostles talked about it where they could. It's important we know that this is a New Testament revelation. This isn't something that was told in the Old Testament. This is a mystery that was that was revealed to um, to Paul in the New Testament. Jesus talked about it in John 14, but the main place we get the idea of the rapture is Paul in 1 Thessalonians 4. He's talking to the Thessalonians who were concerned that their deceased brothers and sisters in Christ were going to miss it. And so Paul says to them, starting in verse 13, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, um, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, in case of Paul's saying he got this from Jesus, this is a revelation, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up. And so that you know, he says, we'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So our translation has the words caught up to translate a Greek word. Okay. Um, I think it's harpazo. Um, I'm probably getting that wrong, but yeah, the Greek. <laughs> Here's where I'm going with it. Like, I know the answer. You should know. Yeah. <laughs> it's been it's been a few months for you, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been um, more than a few months. But the Latin Vulgate translates that Greek word, um, and for, in a word that we get our English word rapture. I had it earlier. I'm. I'm it's escaping my brain. We're doing this in the afternoon and I'm drinking coffee, but mm-hmm. that's where we get the, the word rapture. And it Lord means, of the Rings literally, is on means your mind. literally, what? Lord of the Rings is on your mind. It wasn't until you said <laughs> it just now, but, but we will be caught up in the air. So yeah. that's the idea of the rapture. It's a catching up yeah. in the air to meet the Lord. And so we will always be with the Lord. Now, our, 
our statement of faith says that we we are going to be caught up with the Lord, or we're going to be raptured before the seven year tribulation. Are there different views of that on on the rapture? Yeah, there is. Which are well, um, so there's ours, which is called the futuristic premillennial rapture, right? Um, sometimes <clears throat> referred to as a lot of times actually referred to as a dispensational rapture, a pre-trib rapture. Um, another view is what's called a post-trib rapture, that, that this time of tribulation, um, the church will experience it. And then at the end of the seven-year tribulation, the Lord will return. We will meet him in the air and then return immediately to earth. We hmm. kind of talked about that on the podcast last week. Um, then there's a view, um, what's called, uh, it, I think I mentioned preterism, partial preterism, which is a way of reading Revelation and some of these eschatological passages as referring actually to, um, in large part, the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in 70 AD. Mm-hmm. And they would locate the tribulation as being something that happened in the first century of the church. Mm-hmm. And the church has been going through turbulence, you know, throughout church history, but there won't be this end times, time of a special tribulation before the Lord returns. Yeah. And in that view also, the rapture would take place after the tribulation, but not connected with the tribulation at all. Okay. Does that does that make sense? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So basically, you know, and there's others, there's like a mid-trib rapture and a... Um, but... The main ones we're looking at are the pre-trib rapture, which we hold, the tri- the post-trib rapture, um, which is kind of up and down, and then an end times rapture that has nothing to do with the tribulation per se, but it's also up and down. Sure, mm-hmm. sure. But our view is the only one that has believers who are alive at the coming of the Lord and those who have died in Christ in the church age meeting the Lord in the air and then going to heaven for seven years. So what so what happens to what happens to believers once they're raptured? What what takes place in that in that time frame for those who have been raptured? Right. So well the first thing is we're transformed. So Paul's talking about we believe that Paul's talking about the rapture in First Corinthians fifteen. Um, when he says, in the moment, uh, in, a tw- in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. This perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying. You know, so we believe that there will be this instantaneous transformation. We will be with Christ. We will be glorified. We will be with him in heaven. And during that time, the church, while the, while the world is going through this period of tribulation, which Jesus says in Revelation 3.10, he will keep the church from mm-hmm. as a reward. Mm-hmm. He will keep them from the coming tribulation. Um, the church is not destined for wrath, you know, um, for Thessalonians 5. We're rewarded for the things that we've done as believers, mm-hmm. which the Lord prepared beforehand for us to do. And and he talks about that in 1 Corinthians 3. Um, and in 2 Corinthians 5, he talks about the Bema judgment, the, the, the judgment seat of Christ. And it's, an expl- it's explicitly a time for believers who have been taken up to the Lord in heaven to receive from him the rewards for what they've done in the body. The things Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 3, how the things that we've done... Um, that are worthless, in other words, with wrong motives, 
for self-serving reasons or um, corrupt sinful things, those things are going to burn up. Mm-hmm. But the things that we've done for the glory of God, he will reward us for. So, so is that is that different from the great white throne judgment? Yeah, very much. How so? Okay, so that judgment, the judgment seat of Christ, um, is explicitly described in terms of rewards. Okay, it's a it's a it's a judgment for believers, not a judgment on sin, because believers' sin has been judged already right. at the cross. The great white throne judgment. It takes place in Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15. And that judgment is is put explicitly in terms of condemnation. So the the dead are raised there. This is after the millennium has taken place. The heavens and the earth give up, you know, all the dead, the sea, everybody who's, who's dead, which all believers have been resurrected by that point. So mm-hmm. this is only sinners. Mm-hmm. Um, they stand before God. He opens the books. He judges them for the wickedness that they have done and not repented of. Mm-hmm. They don't trust in Christ. And based on that judgment, they're cast into the lake of fire forever. Mm-hmm. And so two totally different judgments, we believe, you know, separated by a thousand year period, which is the millennium. Mm-hmm. So the one is taking place right before the millennium begins, the, mm-hmm. the judgment seat of Christ for the church. The other one is taking place after the millennial reign of Christ. That's only for unbelievers from all time. Okay. So um, let's say somebody somebody uh, is saved during the millennium, and, and we'll, we'll get into this next week, um, but I just kind of want to keep going on this trail of, yeah. if somebody is saved during the millennium yeah. and they, they die... Wait. Um, during the millennium or yeah. the tribulation? The millennium. Are, okay. are people being saved during the millennium? Well, so the only people entering into the millennium are going to be the ones who embraced Christ during the tribulation. Okay. Because because the way it works, <clears throat> we've got the, the rapture of the church. So everybody who has believed in Christ before he comes, which would be us now, yeah. like let's say he comes tomorrow and we're alive. We will... so. Everybody in in Christ who has died so far over the past couple thousand years, Martin Luther, John Calvin, April Smith, these saints who have Mm -hmm. gone before us will be resurrected and meet the Lord in the air. Mm -hmm. We who are alive will also meet the Lord in the air Mm -hmm. and will be in heaven. At that point, that starts the tribulation period, Mm -hmm. which is described in Revelation 6 through 19. Um, and many places other than that, but that's the most concentrated look at the events of the tribulation. And so all the believers are gone. At that point, God transitions his focus back to his people, Israel. And the prophets refer to this as a time of trouble for Jacob, a time of, of discipline for Israel. And during, during that time, they will, as a people, turn to the Lord, okay, and be saved. And so there will be people believing in Jesus during the tribulation time. Um, This is described in in Revelation 7. Um, Those from the tribes of Jacob who are, who are, uh, who are the, who who are presumably the evangelists throughout the world, resulting in what happens right after that, which is that some from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation are before the throne worshiping the lamb. And when Christ returns, um, that is what's going to happen at that point is there's another judgment. It's mm-hmm. 
called the we call it the sheep goat judgment because this is the judgment that Jesus is talking about in Matthew 25 when he, he you know Matthew 25 I think it's verse 31 is the return of the son of man sure and then he separates the sheep from the goats sure well who are the sheep well they would be the people during the tribulation a ton of them are Jews right yeah. cuz yeah. he's taken up his he's fulfilling his promises to Israel to redeem them after the time of exile um they they enter into the millennial kingdom. Okay. They're still they're still unglorified. They're alive. They have a sin nature. And the 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 goats are those who have rejected Christ. They're taken off of the earth. Okay. They're taken off the earth. So only people going into the millennium are believers. And the only people um who are not, who are not in glorified bodies who do not have who who have a sin nature are those who haven't even died yet because they came to Christ during the tribulation. Okay. They're saved, but they are able to have children continue life on earth together with the church who comes back with the Lord in glorified bodies Mm -hmm. who are not having children, who are not getting married, who Mm -hmm. are, you know, like Jesus says, like the angels in heaven. And so the process of by process of elimination, the only people going to be birthed in the millennial kingdom, continuing continuing to be able to, you know, grow up, have families, die, yeah. be resurrected, would be the descendants of those yeah. who enter the millennium, having come to faith during the tribulation. So, so during the millennium, will will there be those who still reject Christ because of because sin nature will still be prevalent? There would have to be. Yeah. And and the reason I say there has to be is because of what happens at the end of the millennium. You know, remember back on the podcast last week, um, I said there's different approaches to the book of Revelation. And the one that we think is the most faithful and natural way to read it is to, to see how many times the Apostle John says things, and these are connecting points all throughout the book, then I saw. Yeah. After that, there time markers that link the book together. And so we take Revelation sequentially. And so that means that the millennium happens after the return of Christ. Yeah. Right. And and it means that the great white throne judgment happens after the millennium. Yeah. And the way that um, the Apostle John describes the millennium is uh, he says that I saw thrones and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands, they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Okay, so first resurrection, this is a good thing, (laughs) right? Over such, the second death has no power, um, which would be eternal condemnation. But they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. Now, here we go. When the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. Well, if Christ is on earth, reigning with the church who can't sin anymore, and the only people who can sin are those who have a sin nature, 
born, you know, who, who entered the millennium as believers. And so it's their, it has to be their descendants who over the span of a thousand years, or if a thousand years simply stands in for a very long period of time, during that very long period of time where Christ is reigning in Jerusalem, um, to the four corners of the earth, people are spreading out as God has created us to fill the earth. Um, there will be a lot of people throughout that time who end up, even though Jesus is there, not trusting in him Hmm. for salvation and rejecting his reign. Hmm. And at the end of the thousand years, Satan comes out to deceive the nations and they follow him Hmm. to Jerusalem to make war on the saints. That's what it says in Revelation 20. Hmm. And of course, that's just a horrible idea. And (laughs) and Jesus demolishes the rebellion. Yeah. Yeah. But that all takes place at the, after the millennium. Yeah. Kind of like in Lord of the (laughs) Rings. Yeah, there it is. Um, but, well, but yeah, that will be after the return of the king. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hint, not Aragorn. Yeah. <laughs> I'm done. I think that's four. Yeah. Um, let's get back to the tribulation, because uh, that's, a, that's a big part of our study of the end times. So we understand that the tribulation time frame is a seven-year period, but where where do we get that seven years? Does it does it talk about it in Revelation? Um, where where is that coming from? Um, no, it does not say seven years in Revelation. It says seven years. Well, seven sevens, or we get it from Daniel nine, um, okay. and the this is one of the linchpins of biblical prophecy. Daniel nine twenty four through twenty seven. So the context is the prophet Daniel is. Um, you know, he's considering Jeremiah's prophecy that Israel would be in exile for 70 years. And the reason they were in exile for 70 years is because that was the number of years of rest that they were supposed to have given the land of Israel. Mm-hmm. They didn't. Mm-hmm. So God says, okay, well, you've racked it up, and I'm going to give the land the rest that it was due yeah. because I commanded you to do it. You're going away for 70 years to Babylon. And so as he's thinking about these things, God gives him a revelation um, about what will happen with Israel in the future. And so Daniel uh, Daniel 9, beginning in 24, it says, 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city. And literally, the, the text says, 77s are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for sixty-two weeks it shall be built again, with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the sixty-two weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, and for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes it desolate, until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. So, does that make sense? Any questions? Yeah, no, that was clear. <laughs> and, 
right? Yeah. So this is dealing with weeks. And what these are, are they, they're referred to as prophetic weeks. The context makes plain that a week is a year. Okay. And the prophetic year in the Old Testament was 360 days. Okay. Um, and so what happens is that there's 70 uh, 70 sets of seven years to bring to an, a completion what God's dealings with Israel would be. And I'm going to try to make this as clear as I can um, and as quickly as I can. So it's broken up into three sections. It starts with verse 25. From the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. So that's the first set. It's seven weeks. Seven weeks of seven years, which is 49 years. Well, so we look back historically and we go, when was a decree given to rebuild Jerusalem? Well, it came from the Persian king Artaxerxes in, I think, um, 445 BC. And 49 years after that, okay, 49 years after that, it, Jerusalem's rebuilt the, under the supervision of Nehemiah. His ministry comes to an end. So does the ministry of Malachi, the last prophet of the Old Testament. So that first 49-year period is the end of the Old Testament ministry. Okay? And that leads us to the next, which is then for 62 weeks, it shall be built again with squares and a moat, but in troubled time. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. That anointed one is in, in, like if you're reading the King James or some other translations, it's literally a Messiah. The Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. Mm -hmm. This is, of course, Christ, who was cut off, who had nothing. He died as a poor man in, in place of his people, which is why it says that transgression would be finished, sin would be put to an end, and iniquity would be atoned for. Um, so that... That period of time from the end of Malachi until the ministry of Jesus is, is that 62-week set of seven years. Mm -hmm. And it's, a trouble, it's described as a troubled time. And that intertestamental period was a troubled time, if there ever had been for Israel at mm -hmm. that point. Yeah. Because you had the Persians, the Greeks, um, which were was horrendous overlords. The Maccabean revolt, the Romans came in. So this is a troubled time, but Jerusalem was rebuilt. It was inhabited. But then Jesus, the anointed one, came and was cut off. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it's pretty precise. Yeah. So precise that liberal scholars think that Daniel was written after Jesus because nothing could have been that precise unless God had revealed it, hmm. which of course he did. Now, here we go. Fast forward to the end times. Why do we think that there's a future seven-year tribulation period? Well, um, so it, remember, it says after the 62 weeks. So now the 62 weeks are done. And now we're after that. The people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and sanctuary. So Jesus has been cut off. There's a future prince coming who our eschatology would see as a future antichrist. Mm-hmm whom Paul describes in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 as the man of sin or the man of lawlessness, mm -hmm. who does exactly what it says here in Daniel chapter 9, sets up an abomination of desolation in the temple. And so the people of the prince to come would be the Romans, 
we know they're the Romans because it says that they destroy the city, they destroy the sanctuary. Now, back to your biblical history. When was that? When did they destroy Jerusalem in the temple? That would be uh, 70 AD. Yes. By Titus. Man, Jeopardy. Double Jeopardy. Well done. Yeah, 70 AD. Nailed it. So the Romans did that. That's how we know the people of the prince from the scattered empire of Rome in one of those nations in the future will arise this man of lawlessness, Mm -hmm. this man of sin. And it says that for one week he shall make a strong covenant with many. Well, who are the many? Well, context is king. We look back to 24. Who is the subject of this prophecy? Daniel's told it's decreed about your people. Who are Daniel's people? Israel. So that's why we, th- we see a seven-year tribulation period in the future when the Antichrist mm-hmm. will rise. Mm-hmm. Revelation talks about him. Da- uh, Paul talks about him in 2 Thessalonians 2. And he will make a covenant with the people of Israel for one week. Mm-hmm. And during that time, because it says, um, for half of the week, he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall come the one who makes it desolate. This is what Jesus refers to in Matthew 24 and 25, which we believe talks about that future tribulation time before his return as being um, a time when the abomination of desolation that the prophet Daniel talks about Mm -hmm. will come. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so during that time, that covenant he makes with Israel will allow them to reestablish their temple worship Hmm. back in Jerusalem. Hmm. Now, here's something interesting. This is just a fun fact. Right now, in Israel, the Jewish people, there is a group of Jews who have already got priestly garments, um, priest, the priestly line identified, the temple worship, um, the, the, uh, the implements of worship are already prepared. They're waiting. They're actively waiting for a reestablishment of temple worship. Hmm. That's just, that's an interesting fact in light of what it says here. Just that we're actually seeing things unfold that are paving the way for exactly what we believe Scripture says will happen. Yeah. But, so, I'm sorry, that was like as brief of an explanation of Daniel 9 as I could give without making, you know, without actually having it mean something as we're going through that prophecy. That's that, that week to come, we believe, will be future because... It hasn't happened yet. Sure. All these, the events of these 70 weeks, the um, ushering in of everlasting righteousness, all the visions and prophecies being fulfilled, and the anointing of a most holy place, those things, they haven't happened yet. Yeah. So we have to believe their future. So when when the Antichrist comes, um, is, is there going to be a moment of peace? Is he gonna? Is he gonna usher in a, a time of of supposed peace? Well, or yeah, is it just gonna be so, chaos. Well, so um, things are gonna be bad for sure, um, and we know that because the judgments in Revelation six through nineteen go from bad to worse. Yeah. Um, but he will make a covenant with the holy people for half a week, which would be three and a half years, which yeah. Revelation talks about the tribulation happening in two, three and a half year periods. Um, and and he says, um, to be ready, Jesus in Matthew 24 and 25 talks about, um, 
oh, where is it? That, well, there's two people will be in the field and one will be taken and another left. And the context is judgment. Mm-hmm. One will be taken in judgment and the other left. And he talks about the sheep goat judgment. Um, I'll try to find it. But yeah, I think there will be, he's going to deceive many. And people will really like what he's selling, mm-hmm. which is why this is going to be such a big deal. Yeah. But it will result in a time of unprecedented persecution for the Jews and the people of God who are believing at that time. So when it talks about the abomination of desolation, there's it's kind of a bait and switch is what's taking place. He makes this covenant with the people of Israel. Uh, temple worship is restored, which would include animal sacrifices, right? Yeah. Yeah. He says he puts an end to sacrifice. So, so there's there's a restoration of temple worship, but when the abomination of desolation takes place, that's when that's when everything switches, right? And he, the antichrist is is now killing and slaughtering Jews, yeah, by the thousands. And you know, and I would think just because as believers, you know, knowing what we do about Christ, that I'm not sure if the temple worship is reinstituted by believing Jews sure, or not. But sure. we know that during the tribulation period, there will be a massive conversion of the Jews to Christ, which is the restoration that, that Moses talks about in Deuteronomy 30, that after their time of exile, there will be a return of the people. This is going to be when the Jews um, as a people ultimately embrace Christ and, and come into the full the fullness of the new covenant mm-hmm. where they have new hearts and a new spirit put within them mm-hmm. but yeah it's going to be awful i found that passage um about no one knowing the day or the hour it it has to you know jesus comes back that's the context matthew 25 29 through 31 um and then as in those days um before the flood talking about Noah, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. They were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know um, on what day your Lord is coming. Yeah. But, you know, when we read Revelation 6 through 19, the the overarching picture is this is not, it's really bad. It's really bad. And it's a time of judgment. So there's there's three sets of judgments, right? There's the seal, there's the trumpet, and then the bowls. I think I have those yeah, incorrect. That's order. right. Um, it, some people would say that those are just, those are uh, a repeat, I guess, of, of what's being said like it's just like it's cyclical yeah it goes back yeah hey let's circle for another look at yeah. the same thing and then yeah, a yeah, third. Yeah. yeah but we would say we would say otherwise we'd say it's actually three different sets of it's cascading judgments yeah you think you know think like um russian nesting dolls um so you've got <laughs> so one fits inside the other and this is interesting in the structure of revelation the six seals when you get to the seventh seal and it's opened, mm-hmm. the seven trumpets begins begin. And so the seven trumpets are the seventh seal. Yeah. And when the seventh trumpet sounds, the seven bowl judgments yeah. begin, and they're worse. Yeah. And so the seven bowls is the seventh trumpet is the seventh seal. Yeah. So it's a it's it's kind of a telescoping, I mean, yeah. nesting 
judgment yeah. event. Yeah. But for the Christian, yeah, we have nothing to fear, right? Because I think always true. I think for for most people. Um, or for most believers, they read through Revelation and it's a very terrifying thing, which it is, yeah. which it is. Yeah. Um, but for for those who, I guess, hold our, our view of es- eschatology, um, we really have nothing to fear because we're going to be with Christ. Yeah, and that's actually the point of the rapture passage in First Thessalonians 4. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, concerning the times and seasons, brothers, and and that's a shift in Paul's thought there, is now concerning the times and seasons, you know, that's a, he's he's now directing the attention of his readers elsewhere. Um, You have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord, which is a theological term of judgment, Mm -hmm. will come like a thief in the night. Um, While people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them. What Paul's saying, though, is he, he says in verse, um, verse uh, let's see, verse 4, but you are not in darkness for that day to surprise you like a thief. You are all children of light, children of the day. We're not of the night or of the darkness. Um, we belong to the day. God has not destined us for wrath, it says in verse 9, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And if we've understood Revelation correctly, that that time of tribulation and judgment is coming on the world in the future, then we have to believe what Jesus says in Revelation 3.10, which is that I will, I will keep you from that time of mm. tribulation. Mm. So yeah, there's, there's yeah. much encouragement there for us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm excited to get more into the millennium next week. Yeah, I'm excited to get there. I mean, like, actually get to, to the millennium. It's going to be amazing. It will be amazing. Uh, but to discuss it will also be amazing. These these things are just... We covered a lot of detail today. Yeah. And we... And this is all... And we did it kind of at a rapid pace. Yeah. These things are nuanced. When you get into eschatology, yeah. we're talking about place a place of theology where faithful believers differ widely within reformed evangelicalism yeah conservative reformed inerrancy holding doctrines of grace teaching evangelicalism there is not unity on these things right but that makes sense that you know people will point out that our view um a futuristic premillennialism is of the four views the most recent to develop and therefore probably isn't true yeah but the the thing is what was the church dealing with throughout church history and in what order well, they began by dealing with the doctrine of the Trinity and the deity and humanity of Christ, and then salvation by grace through faith alone. All things that are of vastly greater and more foundational significance than eschatology. Mm-hmm. And so at this point in the history of the church, it would make sense that we would start to, to give the more nuanced, detailed look at the kind of exegesis in scripture that's required to come up with a faithful understanding of how these things unfold. Mm-hmm. So I think we're on solid ground, um, but we have to hold it humbly yeah. and realize that we are not in a majority of yeah. believers. And that's just, that's just a, a note for how we approach those things. I hope. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Well, again, if this is something that's uh, been confusing to you, if there's something that that came up that you would like answered in more detail, please ask Jeremy. Please, yes, um, contact Rick or myself. Yeah. Uh, and at we would Jeremy.pinch at sunvalleychurch.org. This is that's my email. Or you can also send the Q and A for the like, podcast. I don't like you putting my email out on it's on the website well that's true it doesn't make a difference now (laughs) who who runs the website (laughs) (laughs) yes if you have if you have any questions um anything that you're working through uh through through scripture or the last things um we would be more than happy to work through those with you so feel free to shoot me an email and we will we'll work on that in a future podcast Rick, anything else that you want to say? I feel like I said too much already. No, no quotes, no. No, I got nothing. Nothing, okay. <laughs> like afternoon coffee has worn off <laughs> quicker than usual. Yeah. Well, church, we love you. We look forward to being with you this Sunday and next week on The Voice of the Valley. Have a great day.